Several years ago, I wrote a dissertation concerning the role of forgiveness in leadership. Think uh, Nelson Mandela as a little teaser. When I was researching this, I learned that the last several decades had seen a great flourishing of hard scientific research and fields of study that were long considered beyond the range of scientific inquiry. Forgiveness was a prime example. Prior to about, say, 1990, there was little interest from either physical or humanistic scientists in researching something that was deemed softly religious, something beneath the dignity of, you know, real scientists to mess with, mess with. And the early researchers who plunged in, nevertheless, had to endure a disdainful condescension from their peers. Since that time, however, forgiveness has garnered an explosion of interest across numerous fields of study, including psychology and anthropology and sociology and political theory and economic theory and many physical and behavioral sciences as well. My bit of research was an attempt at furthering the conversation in leadership studies. Well, forgiveness turned out to be just the tip of the iceberg as other formerly out-of-bounds topics gained the scrutiny of science when it became clear those boundaries actually impeded a much fuller and richer understanding of human nature and its flourishing. Those of you that track such things in an academic sense will recognize that this is a result of the postmodernist invasion of critical thought. Well, gratitude is another prime example that has recently gained a scientific traction. So, for instance, a number of years ago, not so long ago, under the auspices of their Greater Good Science Center, the University of California, Berkeley, launched a multi-year project studying the science and practice of gratitude. That would never have happened 20 years ago. Still, midstream in their work, they're finding that people who practice gratitude consistently report a host of benefits. Stronger immune systems, lower blood pressure, higher levels of positive emotions, more joy, optimism, and happiness, acting with more generosity and compassion and feeling less lonely and isolated. So it turns out gratitude has reflexive benefits to the one for whom it's second nature. That's one of the things the emerging science reveals. Or another way to say it is that gratitude generates greater health, vitality, and satisfaction. Of course, now, we spiritually committed types would have claimed that anyway. 
that gratitude offered the one unassailable antidote to a life of morbidity, meanness, and loneliness, as well as providing an essential component of healthy family and community and every effort at building up the common good. It's just that we would have claimed that, I claim that. It's just that we couldn't prove it scientifically, that there would be these benefits. We took it as a matter of faith, which highlights the meaning in the gospel story concerning Jesus healing ten lepers. Honestly, that lesson is as relevant today as it was in the first century. What we reference, by the way, as leprosy here likely included a number of skin diseases, but to be so identified meant that you were separated from regular human community. Fear of contagion was a principal reason, but victims were also often blamed for their condition as a result of God's disfavor somehow. They were unclean. They had to be removed from their families and communities, so they stayed beyond the bounds of towns and villages. If an observant Jew came in contact with a leper, he would need to go through a purification ritual. So be clear that these ten were in a miserable state as they approached Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, disfigured by disease and ostracized by their communities. Still, it seems they knew about Jesus, they had heard about him, and as the story is told, they approach him. Note that the lesson says they stood at a distance because they knew the rules. They mustn't get close. But they called out to him. And all of them are healed of their physical infirmity. Only one returns in profound gratitude. And it is to that one that Jesus says, Your faith has made you well. And I would quickly point out that a natural question arises. If faith made this one well, what made the others well? You see the point, right? All of them were healed, but only one is told it had anything to do with his faith. Well, you know, friends, that suggests that healing here in this little story has multiple layers, and the release from the physical illness was the least of it. And Luke is, as always, on the ready to point out that the one Jesus praises is the double outcast, the dreaded Samaritan, the one who was objectionable not only for his leprosy, but also for his heresy. Because let's remind ourselves and repeat this again and again, because Luke does, Samaritans were reviled by pious Jews, thought to be perverters of the Jewish tradition and to be avoided at all costs. If you have attended worship over the course of this year, as we've been reading through the Gospel of Luke, you would have heard this being brought up on a number of different occasions. And Luke hammers it home. By the way, Jews in that day would have avoided traveling through Samaria, even though it provided a direct route going up north 
And interestingly, here's a little advertisement. If you were to join us on our next pilgrimage next October to Israel, you will discover that the same thing is true today. Because old Samaria turns out to be in what is still referred to as the West Bank, and Jews will not pass through it. They go the long way around. You want to come with us. You're going to have a great time. It's a fantastic trip. So when Jesus applauds this man's faith, just what exactly is he applauding? In other words, he is a heretic of a certain sort. What is Jesus applauding about his faith? His, the content, the ritual content of his faith was considered faulty at best and an abomination at worst. Well, here's what we're left with. Gratitude is the essential component of faith. Gratitude is the essential component of faith. If one has authentic gratitude, that is, if one recognizes that he had nothing whatsoever to do with his good fortune, he already had the appropriate orientation to God and by default to life. Now, if you were here last week, you heard me address the disciples' plea to Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. Well, interestingly, this story follows immediately on that story. Isn't that interesting? That's not by accident. What it suggests is that gratitude is the great faith amplifier. And I said last week that the disciples' request made a really good mantra prayer for us to adopt, as in, Lord, increase my faith. And now here's a corollary, if we do in fact want more faith. Lord, increase my gratitude. Here's the thing, here's the thing. Even if after hearing a lesson like this you were to leave with the idea that you were going to seek to be more grateful, I suspect the honest person would discover that this is not as easy as it might seem. The reasons are manifold, but chief among them is that all of us, whether we are conscious of it or not, generally seethe with resentments. We either consciously or unconsciously believe we are more often the victims of unfairness than the recipients of astonishing blessings. And the last thing we want to be told is that we should all just be more grateful. Also, we are far more naturally oriented to believe that we merit good things to come our way than not. We merit it. Come on. That we deserve good things, and we deserve the good things we have. How else to explain the nine cleansed lepers who do not return to Jesus? They're completely indifferent to the providential nature of their healing. They deserved it. Just as with most of us, much of the time our indifferent 
to the providential nature of the miracle of our very existence, that we live and breathe in the first place, and that we can exercise all sorts of physical, mental, and emotional capacities. Gratitude is a fundamental orientation to our existence, regardless of life circumstance, just as faith is. That explains why gratitude and faith are so closely related. Gratitude comes when we step off the pedestal of our own admiring. When this happens, we find the most complete healing there is. Traditionally, we've called this salvation in the Christian tradition. These words all kind of blend together, ultimately. That's what Jesus says to the heretic Samaritan. And I want to underline that. That, in effect, salvation has come to the heretic. This is really important, friends. This is very important. In this way, you see, the logic goes like this. That a sincerely and humbly grateful Muslim is far, far closer to the truth than a self-righteous, self-absorbed, so-called Christian. That's the point of it. That's what he's saying to us today. And I don't think we can arrive at any other conclusion with a reading like this. Authentic gratitude is a mark of spiritual maturity, regardless of one's religious practice. Now, we're mostly used to setting up our criteria for determining what proper faith sounds like and the words that should be attached to it. And then we put up boundaries around us so that those who situate themselves in the middle of those boundaries with that right set of words are those that God favors, and those who are outside that boundary are those who are despised. That's normal, right? Typical. Do you see how Jesus shatters that? And do you see how authentic faith and authentic gratitude is not dependent upon having a set of words, per se. It's breathtakingly revolutionary. So committed are we to creating one form of tribalism after another. Oh my. So, what are the marks of authentic gratitude then? <laughs> well, again, as I began today, interestingly enough, our science helps us out here now. And our science suggests the truly grateful person will be obviously and spontaneously generous with what they have. Isn't that interesting? They will be less self-absorbed. They will express greater compassionate regard 
and higher levels of positive emotions. They will have more joy. They will have more optimism and happiness. They will feel less lonely and isolated. Who knew this could all be tested scientifically? And by the way, gratitude can also become a value of community life. Surely, surely the healthiest church is a place that engenders gratitude as a very high virtue since it is also so nearly synonymous with faith. So how do we get it? How do we get it? Well, you know, <laughs> like most things that are worthwhile, we say in here, we pray about it. And then we practice it in real time, even if we're not feeling it. You know how this is with anything that's worthwhile. We practice it even if we're not feeling it. We give more money to just causes than we would normally. It's an easy discipline, right? <laughs> we stretch beyond our normal comfort zone. Because until we do it, we aren't stretching our gratitude muscles. Just like you have to push yourself in athletic activity in order to strengthen yourself, the same thing is true, in all of these other things that are so very worthwhile, we say to ourselves. We fake it till we make it. If we're sincere, we fake it till we make it. We attempt to extend forgiveness to persons we resent. Anybody you resent in your life? We practice forgiveness for the person we resent. Well, how on earth do you do that? We pray about it. And you know what the best thing I always tell people to do in a matter like this? If you feel like you cannot, you start at the place where you are. You say something like, God, I'd like to grow in my spirit of gratitude and forgiveness, but I feel blocked and held back. I hate Susie Smith. I can't stand her. She did such and so to me in the past. But I'd like to learn how to forgive her authentically. Please help me. That's where you start. You start with where you are. You don't start from somewhere you're not. <laughs> we offer sincere apology to someone we've hurt without any excuse. Have you hurt anyone? We learn how to say, I'm terribly sorry for that behavior. I'm terribly sorry. You know, in one of my interviews for my forgiveness research, one of the uh, leaders that I interviewed said, you know, I don't think I have the right to ask anyone for forgiveness. I think the only thing I can do when I have wronged another is to admit it to them 
and say how deeply, deeply sorry I am. And then forgiveness comes or it doesn't. But learning how to say I'm sorry without excuse is an excruciating discipline. I know from personal experience. I'm always wanting to add another phrase. You you know what I mean? I'm terribly sorry for what I did. Of course, my mother called me that day. We develop an intentional pattern of worship instead of scattershot here and there, since this is an essential aspect of remembering who's who and what's what, and remembering it's not about what we're going to get after having paid our dues. It's about giving something back, which God is owed, in effect. And in the giving, it acknowledges fundamentally who I am, who's who and what's what, and where I'm going and where I've been. And how my life is situated in the grand scheme of things. And I need a reminder of that, a weekly reminder that that's the way it is. We practice saying words like, thank you, and I'm sorry, at the workplace, in our marriage, or in our parenting. Here's another interesting tidbit from my research. I interviewed a a bunch of high-profile leaders on the topic of forgiveness. A couple of things, interesting things to observe. One is, to a person, they all said this was the very first time in their life, and all of them were over the age of 55, the very first time in their life that they had ever had a one-on-one conversation about the topic of forgiveness. And then, in the course of the conversation, again, to a person, all of them said, or all of them marveled, at how crucially important practicing forgive, forgiveness was in their lives, now that they're thinking about it. And their responses kind of spread out over three general areas. Personal, organizational, and cultural. On the organizational front, this was fascinating, again, to a person, as they got talking about it, they realized how essential forgiveness was in their organizational environments. And then, secondarily, to a person, they found themselves fumbling and stumbling around the idea that You could never talk about forgiveness in their work environment because to talk about it would mean a setting down your weapons. You were risking vulnerability and being perceived as weak. Saying I'm sorry in the workplace, you see, is a disarmament on your part. But it is a rectification of a broken relationship and it is a mark of being a grateful person. All of these examples provide many opportunities to build our gratitude muscles. I suspect 
the Samaritan who returned to Jesus in thanksgiving had already built up a, a catalog of gratitude disciplines. His response was so spontaneous and heartfelt. And as Jesus remarked, indicative of his salvation. He was the one who understood the deep truth at the center of his existence. The dreaded heretic. Some years ago, I adopted a very small spiritual discipline in my home that my family and, and closer friends and their friends have learned when sharing a meal in our home. It's a variation on the traditional grace. But I invite everyone to take hands and I say with eyes wide open, looking round the table, gratitude abounds. Thanks be to God. It's gotten to be a little bit of a joke in our house. And when my kids' friends are over, they all know it. And they all, to a person I tell you, look forward to it. And invariably, it invites them to say something for which they are grateful. Like this opportunity to be together. The love that's around the table. The love they share in their friendships. Without even asking them, they'd now even... They're, my kids' friends have given me an apron that says, Gratitude abounds. I've discovered that this brief pair, prayer hits a nerve for everyone, regardless of their religious perspective. Jew, Christian, Muslim, agnostic, atheist, there isn't anyone who resents hearing it or saying it. We seem to have a natural instinct for this. Without fanfare, it sets a very high bar for the engagement that follows because we have acknowledged a fundamental truth of our existence. I'm convinced of it. But for the grace of God, go all of us.